Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss Christmas Eve, also known as the Nativity of Our Lord, which this year falls on December 24th, as usual. Just like every year. Yes. We have one content notification for you this episode. We talk about white supremacist violence when we discuss the second reading. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So our deep dive for today is on angels. We are very excited about this, and we're not just talking about reformed vampires in Buffy. We're talking about biblical angels. And maybe a little bit of reformed vampires in Buffy? And maybe a little reformed vampires in Buffy, a little <laughs> like nerdery. But we're doing this because we are doing the Gospel of Luke this year, and in the Gospel of Luke is where angels show up a whole bunch, particularly in our gospel reading for today to inform the shepherds about the birth of Jesus. So one of the things that has been increasingly making the rounds this year and last year is the reality that most angels don't look like what you might put on top of your tree or you might see as an ornament or a pin or basically Unless you're anything really that looks into googly eyes. If it's you're true. really into googly eyes, that's or if your little one in your life is really into googly eyes and is tasked with making angel ornaments, then it might be kind of accurate. Yes. Because angels actually don't look particularly humanoid in the Bible. The descriptions that we have of them are that they have lots of eyes, that they have several sets of wings. So especially in, I believe it's Isaiah and Daniel, we get the cherubim right with one set of wings covering their eyes and one covering their quote-unquote feet, which is a euphemism, and one helping them fly. So you get several sets of wings, tons and tons of eyes, and of course their favorite phrase is don't be afraid or do not fear. You know, I have to say, if you're covering your eyes while you're flying, I'm gonna be a little afraid. It's true. I think it was because they were in the presence of God. So like covering the ah, eyes. To so not... they weren't moving. Okay. Yeah. That's they were just like probably stationary better. flying, you know, in place or whatever. Right. Yeah. Treading air. Yes. Treading air. Yes, exactly. But it makes a lot more sense when we think about angels looking like that, that almost always their first statement to any human that they see is don't be afraid. Do not yeah. fear. Because that would be a pretty terrifying sight to behold. Yes. That may have been what led to me rewriting a children's tune to go, and the angels are covered in eyes all around, and the angels covered in eyes all around. <laughs> Some years ago. So also, I know that there is a tradition in some circles, particularly some slightly mystical branches of Catholicism, of knowing the various angels and archangels and all of their names, Gabriel and Raphael and the various other Ninja Turtles and so on. <laughs> Ninja Turtles, painters, angels, all the same. Yeah, people. as long as they're Italian, I guess. 
we don't really come from a tradition that's big on naming the angels, Emily and I. And I tend to associate a lot of that stuff either with the mystical branches of Catholicism or some of the neo-pagan and divination stuff, personally, because that's where I grew up seeing it in that section of the Barnes & Noble. Huh. Books on angels with very pretty artwork, and I'm uh, guessing not a lot of actually, you know, uh, historically referenced uh, stuff, but that's just my theory. And a lot of this often comes from reading, you know, Milton and other classical authors, some of whom got very imaginative. And there is a growing tendency in certain parts of the world to believe that if something was made up long enough ago, then that gives it the same kind of weight as something that we knew was true just as long ago. And just because somebody <laughs> invented it in, you know, 1300, whatever, does not necessarily mean that it's actually true. Even if people have been asking, is this really true for several hundred years? And even if it's really pretty, which like some of the stuff is really pretty and artwork is good. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Also a fun fact that I just remembered while Kay was talking about Gabriel and Raphael and Michael is another example, yes. but the L, the E-L at the end of those names is actually an indicator that it's a connection to God. L is short for the Hebrew Elohim. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you see a name in Hebrew or in the Hebrew Bible, especially that it ha that ends in L, it is something, usually it's of God or something like that. So you get Jael is one of them, Gabriel, Raphael, Michael. Michael is pronounced differently for us. So yes. you don't hear the L, but it is still there, sure. which is fun. Also, one of my favorite contemporary places to encounter angels is from story people or as it has morphed, Flying Edna is kind of the rebranded, the, the company split, and Flying okay. Edna is the one that I have continued to go with, but they do a lot of different things with angels, and their characteristics, like the way that they characterize angels, I really appreciate because they're usually not there to make your life easy or to protect you, but they're there to make your life more adventurous or fun or challenging or meaningful. That works really well with angels especially when we think about what the biblical angels actually did about what the biblical angels actually did and about the definition right angel means messenger yes right? so it's a messenger of god what does it look like to be a messenger of god but to draw people towards god to make life meaningful give them opportunities to make meaning in life yeah I don't remember where it was, but I do remember I saw a cartoon once, I think it was, that theorized that the reason why angels have so many eyes is because they're God's messengers. And God knew that humans found eye contact to be, you know, helpful and soothing. <laughs> and so <Yes. laughs> maybe overdid it just a little bit. I remember that meme. I have no idea where it is and I have no, no idea how neither. to find it. But yeah. Also, certainly guardian angels are a pop culture phenomenon. I guess is mm -hmm. the way I'd put it that I get that there are some people who have made that into an entire complicated religious thing with like actual rituals and rules of what kind of thing you have to tie to your car's rearview mirror or something. I not something I grew up with. I have a friend who was raised with that kind of thing and it seems a little out there to me, but ultimately speaking, as much as, you know, I grew up watching It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas, uh, like so many people, <laughs> while the concept of guardian angels is lovely at heart. Also, like, you know, that doesn't 
mean you need to test your guardian angel because we don't need to test God. <laughs> and I don't think that God is very picky about rituals and, you know, exactly what kind of angel knickknack you have tied to your rearview mirror in your car when it comes to caring about you. So, yeah. Well, and my grandmother collected angels and one of the reasons why I think guardian angels are so popular is that there's a sense of comfort in that, yeah. right? The angel pins that my grandmother had were connected to people she loved who had died. Sure. Or, so like there was one for my uncle, there was one for my grandfather at one point. And I think those like provide comfort for people and it's a comforting thing to think like, oh, this person, even though they're dead, isn't really gone. I think we can also think about that though without having to ascribe angelic status to them. Yes, because one of the things that both you and I were raised in in our tradition is that angels are not dead people, and dead people do not become angels. Those are two Correct. entirely separate categories of creatures. Yes. Also ghosts. Yes. Angels are not ghosts. No. No and guarantees ghosts are not on angels. whether or not people become ghosts when they die. But angels like, are not ghosts. Like, you know, Witch of Endor, etc. But yeah. And speaking of angels not being people... There's biblical proof of that. If what? you take a look in uh, Genesis chapter 6, you will see a reference to the Nephilim, who are apparently what happens when angels have babies with humans. Not <laughs> really sure why anyone thought that was a good idea. Like, yeah. personally speaking, that many eyes is a little bit of a turnoff for me, but I can't speak for everybody. You know, you do your own thing. Yeah. I mean, my biggest connection to the Nephilim was from Many Waters by Madeline Lengel, which... Yes, which is also where I learned about them. Yeah, which does not have quite the biblical description of the angels. No, not not exactly. Which probably helps. They are briefly mentioned in Genesis 6 as being rather larger than normal people, the Nephilim are, that is. And again in Numbers 13, and then there's a possible reference in Ezekiel 32, although people apparently disagree on whether that's a reference to the Nephilim or a closely related Hebrew word that doesn't actually relate to them at all. Basically, the idea is that in the very early times of human history, angels flirted with humans and humans flirted back and and the nephilim existed for a while uh, and that's where our ancient legends about giants come from but mm -hmm. i think that we're also allowed to take that with just as much you know artistic license as say the <laughs> two creation stories in genesis so i mean it's possible that in fact the many many eyes was comforting for humans <laughs> You know, I maybe they were really pretty eyes. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, I think most of how we experience angels today or think about angels today is based not not in the Bible, but in fact in pop culture, and that's fine. Like we all we all get to have our pop culture things, and I think it's important right now, especially in like where we're at with Western Christianity, that that we actually like think about what is biblical and what is not biblical. Yeah. Because if we think about biblical angels and then we're actually picturing like white babies like Cupid, you know, shooting arrows or whatever. Right. We're going to get the wrong image of the messengers of God. Right. Similarly to when we think about Jesus and we only picture Jesus as white. Yeah. There are a couple different ways that I've seen of particularly like lay people who don't have 
advanced theological degrees who are exploring what it looks like to explore the Bible and to be biblically faithful and that sort of a thing. Yeah, so I think that's always a good thing to explore. And it's good to also be in conversation with academics, just like academics should ideally be in conversation with practitioners and like... Wait, you mean we have to talk to people? I know! Weird. It's like that whole faith thing is supposed to be done in community or something. Huh. Which is, you know, maybe why angels, whenever they come to people, there's... I don't think an angel has ever come to somebody and been like, and now go hide and be by yourself forever. It's like, (laughs) no, don't do this terrible thing. Or, hey, you should check... You all should check out this cool thing that happened. And go tell other people about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Angels frequently are like, spread the news. Spread the news. They're like newsies. Extra, extra, <laughs> read all about it. Somewhat better paid, I would imagine. I mean, or is there such a thing as pay? Well, oh, and that actually brings up an entirely separate conversation about angels, which is, do they have free will? I've seen a number of different fictional accounts of angels that explain the idea that the difference between us, essentially, humans and angels, is that we have free will and they don't. And there have been a number of interesting explorations of that. The TV show Lucifer uh, played with it quite a bit. And, of course, uh, the book and then miniseries Good Omens did as well. Mm. Also, dogma. Yes. Dogma I, is a I love dogma. Yeah. exploration of angelic free will. Also Fallen other angels, things, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Barbie doll angels. Mm-hmm. How I think about them. Yeah. Yeah. Our first reading for this episode is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. God promises that the oppression of God's people by Assyria will be lifted, and garments of war will be unnecessary. Instead, joy, justice, and peace shall reign at the birth of a royal child, who is sent by God and through whom God will deliver all of this. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of liberation. As I just said, oppression will be lifted. And when we talk liberation, we're not just talking about the hosts of Westworld being liberated from the park amusement torture chamber that they exist in through violent means. But yikes! though this leaves some room for that, but... We're talking about liberation from both oppressing and being oppressed, right? It talks about yeah. breaking weapons of oppression, not just turning them from one group onto another group. Yeah, that turns out to not make a very big difference long term. Like just yeah. turning <laughs> the weapons from one group to another group, you know, turns out actually just the cycle of violence continues. Yeah, enough. weird. When you just let people continue violence, it just keeps going. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and this this passage, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but this passage has a fair amount of complicated translation options, and so anytime you read it, especially if you're reading the Christian versions, it is definitely interpretation to mean Jesus, but that's not how it was originally intended. Yeah. Yeah. Then verse 2, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Which you're supposed to believe is good news but certainly in like orphan black the show that is not actually good news because the darkness being in an orphan black which is like a term for an orphan who's hidden from 
all of the systems and structures, right? So their documentation and stuff is all hidden and buried deep. That was for protection, actually. And so the main character, Sarah, and her twin, Helena, were both like orphan blacks. And so both of them were hidden and obscured and buried like deep darkness, dark web stuff to keep them safe. So actually, like problems start happening particularly for Sarah because she was hidden better than Helena in her coming to light as what turns out to be a clone. And so then it ripples from their darkness. Not always good. Also, check back to our epiphany episode for more. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. In verse 5, we read, For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. And I read this and I immediately thought of the Avatar The Last Airbender episode, Imprisoned, uh, which is pretty early on in the first season, when the gang free Sokka and Katara's dad and a bunch of other waterbenders from a Fire Nation prison ship. And the former prisoners are able to uh, go off and help to free others who have been held captive or oppressed by the Fire Nation. So that was Mm. a, a fun memory to walk back through. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen that yet, but... I think it's like uh, episode six of the first season. It's pretty early. Oh, then I have. And then in verse six, we read, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when he dies to save the world, it will be by his own conscious choice and action, having worked toward it intentionally for years, and not because he's been led witlessly to the slaughter by the adults around him. (coughs) Harry Mm. Potter. (coughs) Snape tells the truth. For once. I mean, Snape uses pig instead of lamb, but yeah. Yeah. So I also read verse six and was remembering my Hebrew Bible professor. So the version I used is from the Jewish Publication Society, I believe, the JPS. And it says, for a child is born unto us, a son is given unto us, and the government is upon their shoulder, and their name is called Wonderful in Counsel is God, the Mighty, the Everlasting Father, the Ruler of Peace. And I really Hmm. appreciate the distinctions here, right? Because counsel, you counsel about war. So there's this this sense of wonderful in counsel is God, that God is a good counselor in war times, that God will lead and guide. And then there's the mighty that connects to that. And then it kind of shifts towards everlasting father, which has more of a caregiver, protector into ruler of peace. And it's very much a, like government position right the government is upon his shoulders not the authority not authority not just like a vague authority but so it's like government position it's a commander of armies position and it still has ruler of peace and like prince of peace sounds prettier but i just really appreciate like those nuances of the translation that we totally miss in Christianity because we are so set on having this particular verse be translated to mean Jesus. And yet when we read it in the JPS version, it actually like sounds a lot more like a king than it does like Jesus. Yeah, it sounds like a job description. Yeah. So I just really appreciate that because translation is fun and nerdery is cool. Yeah. 
Our second reading for this episode is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Recognizing God's grace helps us to lead godly lives while we wait for Jesus' return. Seriously. One of the themes in this passage is the idea of redemption. That is part of what God is up to, is redeeming. And so, of course, I thought of Leverage Redemption, which is the new take on the show, which most of the first season is for at least... Noah Wiley's character about making amends, redeeming wrongs, that sort of a thing, that it is specifically to redeem, to redeem himself, to attempt to redeem himself. Cool. And when we read verse 11, we read, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, which leads me to ask, so the grace appeared, it's not that it was created, so it was there all along, which means that it was hiding before? Was God's grace like the wizard of behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz? I like... think so. Yes. God's grace just like hides. <laughs> Pay no attention to the grace behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. I don't hide your light under a bushel, God. Come on. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and then in verse 12, we read, Training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. So there's this video game called Kingdom Come Deliverance that came out a couple years ago, which strove to portray medieval life with some amount of historical accuracy in a way that a lot of games don't. And they still got some things wrong, but they did pretty good overall. And it's especially well known for its real life based difficulty, which is to say that you start as the son of a blacksmith who's untrained in combat and can't read, which is perfectly reasonable for that station in life. And then learning both actually takes time and effort. Like, it's not that you magically know how to use a sword the first time you pick one up. Uh, You have to work at it. And that actually sounds really fun. I like the game. There are parts of it that I enjoy less, but like the mechanic that actually forces you to work at learning combat is pretty interesting. But there's also this part of the game that you can't skip that takes place in a monastery and you're impersonating a monk for a while while you figure this thing out because you're trying to solve a mystery. And opinions are really divided on that part of the game because it's sort of like a mini game within the game because while you're in the monastery and impersonating this monk you have to follow this fairly strict set of rules that a monk would have to follow. And again, all historically accurate. Actually, the monastery part of the game is one of the most accurate parts. But people who are used to playing video games don't really enjoy that part of the game because they don't want to, you know, they didn't sign up for this game to be a monk. They wanted to go out into the woods and like kill bandits and uh, stab people. And it turns out that living as a monk is not exactly what they were going for. (laughs) It's sort of this odd little retreat in the middle of the game where you go off and do a whole different set of things for a little while. And it was a really interesting experiment and it's not something you usually see, so. Nice, so I also looked at verse 12 and maybe leaning more towards the video gamers who don't like the monastery. When I read, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. My immediate thought, very much influenced by contemporary events and recent history, was, oh, so maybe not 
getting a gun to kill protesters and maybe not showing up to protests in riot gear and pepper spraying protesters. Those don't seem like particularly self-controlled, upright, or godly actions. Though they are frequently done by people claiming to follow Christ. But yeah, this is these are this is just one of those verses that I'm like, how do you follow Jesus and think white supremacist violence is okay? I mean, I actually have an answer for that. It's just rather lengthy and would take like three podcast episodes and goes rather extensively into say Christian Dumez's book Jesus and John Wayne and so on. But yeah, no, that sucks. Yeah. You know. Then in verse 14, we read, Christ it is who gave themselves for us, that they might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for themselves a people of their own who are zealous for good deeds. This actually reminded me of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which is a role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game, similar to Dungeons and Dragons, but which, but with a totally different mechanic and those sorts of things and sure. very much like an emotionally invested kind of campaign and characters. But the orientation of both the campaigns and the characters is definitely to be zealous for good deeds. A lot of it is also like self-discovery and self-understanding and that sort of thing because it's cool. super queer because, you know, thirsty sort of lesbians. But yeah, I was like, that's that's a great example of being zealous for good deeds. You're like out there to like keep people from compulsory heterosexuality and like <laughs> all of those things. See, and I was trying to imagine what the exact opposite game would be like and that takes me right back to the monastery because i was going with like well hydrated penmanship monks or something (laughs) (laughs) i mean the pen is mightier than the sword that's the the like that was where i started yeah the basic premise of thirsty sword lesbians is like when there's conflict it could be a fight and it could also be like it could result in like a duel or it could result in like making out or some sort of deep emotional connection like those are your options and so you get to like mess around and play with them our gospel reading for this episode is luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 14 with the option of verses 15 through 20 which like most congregations we are including in our full repertoire for this episode is that because you decided to cover verse 15 no i actually decided to cover (laughs) verse 15 because we were including it and i think like most on christmas eve most people want to hear the part where the the whole thing shepherds actually follow the like hear the angel's announcement and then go see the baby yeah to be entirely honest, I'm not sure that my congregation will hear like Titus or Isaiah on Christmas Eve. I'm yeah. I'll be doing two different services and I'm not sure what they have planned yet, but we will definitely hear Luke chapter 2. Like that's not there right. are no other options. So Yeah. The other one that I sometimes do is I'll do John 1. If it's yeah. the year of Mark, I like to do John 1. But sure. I have like this whole plan for how to make Christmas Eve not just the same three verses every year but I don't create the Revised Common Lectionary, so who knows if that'll ever happen. Anyway, Luke, chapter (laughs) 2. Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph and laid in a manger, and an angel announces the birth to shepherds who go for a visit. So one of the themes in this passage is community. It doesn't necessarily seem like this because culturally, again, we've gotten this idea that the angels go to the shepherds and they're kind of isolated, that Mary and Jesus and Joseph are all in a barn. But the reality is that this is a story about community. In that's referred to is 
this upper room that is saved for guests. But when your extended family comes in and everybody's extended family comes in, like all the guest rooms fill up. And so you welcome them into, yes, the place where the animals are kept, but that's like the middle of the house. That yeah. is, in fact, welcoming them into community. And you bet that there were midwives in Bethlehem at that time who were helping Mary with the birth. And then to have the shepherds come is this larger community. And yeah, they are the outcasts, nomadic, transient people in the community. And sure. they are welcomed as an integral part of the community. And the final season of The Expanse just came out. And so that I was thinking about that because so much of the way that The Expanse has grown throughout the seasons is collecting community. So like drummership is actually a polyamorous family so there's all sorts of relationships but it's a lot of like polyam the hashtag I think that the drummer character uses is polyam fam right so that in and of itself is a ship that becomes this community made up of a lot of different people but then that is part of the larger community of the Rocinante and that ship which is the main ship that we follow for most of the show plus Christian the earth's general secretary plus Gunny or Bobby Draper, who's from Mars. And so it's like all of these different people from the belt, from Earth, from Mars, from everywhere, coming together in this work and in this struggle. Sure. And in verse two, we read, this was the first registration and was taken while Quirinus was the governor of Syria. So my understanding is that this registration or census, depending on what you want to call it, uh, did not actually happen uh, as far as we know. But if it had happened, it, it would have been so that the government could keep track of whether or not everyone was paying their proper taxes. Uh, mm -hmm. Like that's the purpose of having one of those. Or to get an army to go to war. Yeah, that's also a possibility. And there really was a queerness about that time. It turns out, by the way, that we also got Jesus's birth year slightly wrong. Math is hard. What can I say? <laughs> In the, the time that we would think of as just after Jesus's birth, except it turns out we're bad at math, there was actually a queerness who was the governor of Syria. But my question is why do I not have any Bible nerd or clergy friends who have named their pet Quirinus? Like, Quirinus seems like an excellent name for a religious person's pet. And I know a lot of people who have pets with, with like various religious names. religious names. So, uh, do you have a pet named Quirinus, any of our listeners? Uh, let us know and send us pictures. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it is that I pronounce that name Quirinius. Really? Okay, I definitely grew up calling it Quirinus. Yeah, I pronounce it Quirinius, and I think the other part is that Quirinius is also the first name of Professor Quirrell, and nobody wants their oh. name after Professor Quirrell. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I am curious, so if anybody Also, like, don't let a perfectly Quirinus good biblical name Quirinius. get ruined for you by a transphobe, I, you know. It's true, it's true, yeah. Yeah. Let us know, though. I, I would be curious what kind of a pet. Like, you could sure. do a cat, but you could also do, like, a lizard or something. Yeah, a gecko. turtle. <laughs> a turtle yes. named Quirinus. That'd be fun. And then in verse 3, we read, All went to their towns to be registered. So, again, with the census or registration that Kay mentioned, I was thinking about Hunger Games and the ways that the districts are and are not counted. Because if you don't count people, then there's there's a benefit to not counting like you don't have to pay attention to them but also if you're not paying attention to them there's more possibilities for them rising up and so like yeah 
the that's part of it in District 12 and in District 11, I think, is District 11. It's huge because they need so many people for harvesting that keeping track of how many people helps maintain the control. When you don't keep track, like with District 13, once it goes underground, then there's all of this possibility for them to build up resistance. Yeah. And then in verse 9, we read, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And you would be too if you lived in biblical Palestine and a bright light showed up in the middle of the night and it turned out to be a creature covered in eyes with six wings. Like that's, again, a completely reasonable reaction. <laughs> so I asked my husband, who's more familiar with alien media than I am, media about aliens, I feel like I should explain that, uh, what a similar visual shock moment example might be in fiction. And his immediate response was The Mothman Prophecies, which is a movie from 2002 uh, and definitely has horror aspects to it. Uh, so there is apparently at least a couple moments in there that very much fit that. But he also pointed out that there is a whole subgenre of UFO study uh, and like paranormal studies that think that angels and the biblical and other accounts of angels appearing in the world might actually be stories about aliens. Hmm. Although he would like me to clear up for you that he does not believe that. <laughs> but that is like a legit theory on where angels come from uh, among those who study UFOs. So I thought that was interesting. And it does kind of make sense when you think about it. Yeah. Oh, but, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Also, on that note, if you are interested in horror, here's your periodic reminder that you should definitely check out our After Hours sister podcast, Horror Nerds at Church. And yes. actually, I am guest co-hosting on their Christmas episode, so you can check that out. It is not, unfortunately, on the Mothman Prophecies. But I bet if you emailed them or messaged them on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you find them, they would be totally down for doing the Mothman prophecies at some point. So, you know, horror. Yay. <laughs> In verse 15, we read, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. And this is like the immediate thing that popped into my head is, something that happens in horror films especially but also like happens generally in fiction if you don't see a body you cannot assume the person actually died right so this happens at one point in the ember and the ashes series it happens a lot with horror so this is like a if they don't check it out then what the angels yeah. have said is not necessarily actually and actually happened. just because you see the body like maybe you should go up and poke the body and make sure it actually is the body and mm -hmm. not you know, a collection of pillows underneath a blanket or a slightly more uh, effort-induced double kind of thing. But yes, yes. Uh, make sure it is And even is, it then, it could be a Romeo and Juliet thing. So there's just, Yeah, you know. there's always options. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the first Sunday of Christmas with our special guest, Deacon Aaron Taylor Bodenstab. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. As the ancient Christian said, Pox Phobiscum. Phobiscum. <laughs>